What is happening, everybody? Adam Houch with Cripplecast here. I have Gary May in the studio. How's it going, Gary? It's going well. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and do a quick shout-out to my sponsors here real quick, and uh, then we will get going with Gary's story. First of all, we have Amber Manor Care Center here in beautiful Petersburg, Indiana. Um, they have a multi-unit assisted living facility with rehab and uh, other other things that they offer there. Uh, it's a great place to die if you need to go. <laughs> no, not a bad place to die. It's not, it's not, a, uh, it's not untrue, but uh, they'll take care of you there. Anyway, we have Made with Love and a few F-bombs. That is Tara. She is a my uh, one of my caregivers, but she also has a wonderful craft company that she uh, makes all kinds of, you know, flower boxes and um, signs and all kinds of cool stuff that you can put on your front porch. Totally cute stuff. <laughs> anyway, we also have uh, Atlas Labs. That is Chris Rowe. He has a 3D printing lab here in Petersburg. Uh, Multi-color uh, 3D printing. He also designs a lot of things and uh, has an, a new uh, drone section to his company where he will fly over your house and take pictures of your house and do some, you know, whatever things drone people do. I don't, I don't know. Um, but he has a, a license to fly that thing. I didn't know you had to have a license to fly a drone. Uh, I guess you, to, to do commercial stuff as far as uh, uh, taking pictures and selling stuff. I don't, I don't really know. But anyways, Atlas Labs, he'll take care of you. We have Custom Mechanical Construction out of Evansville, Indiana. They are an uh, a industrial uh, commercial construction company whom I worked for before my accident. Great people. If you need anything in the in, uh, commercial side of construction, they will help you out. Um, let's see. We also have Brainstrap Genetics. It is a a genetic seed company for medical marijuana in a in Colorado, um, off of Colorado. Matt Aldridge uh, doing some wild stuff out there um, in Area 2420 out there. So if you have a chance, check them out. Uh, Brainstrap Genetics at uh, on uh, Instagram. Yeah. So let me think here before I before I get done. Who else do I got? I think that's it. Okay. All right, well, let's get to the, uh, if I miss anybody, I'll come back and punch that in later. But, um, all right, we'll get to the episode here. We have Gary May. Thank you for joining me today, Gary. It's my pleasure. Thank all you right. for asking me. So, Gary is a uh, Newburgh native. Are you from Newburgh originally? I'm from Hobstock. From Hobstock, okay. Uh, so, from Hobstock, and now lives in Newburgh. So, Gary, what a, what, you grew up in Hobstock. Let's, let's just start with the beginning. So tell me about your life. Okay, just that much. Yeah, that little. Right? That little bit. Just tell, uh, me, tell me about where you grew up, and and um, and to, to to let everybody know, Gary is a uh, below the knee, above the knee amputee. Right. Um, and he was uh, injured in Vietnam, so that is a, that's something we'll get to later here in the podcast. But I want to kind of go back to where it all began. See, you know, what influenced your life to go into the military and and whatnot. From yeah. There. Okay. Well, I was born and raised in Hobstadt, went to uh, elementary schools there until fifth grade, at which time then uh, dad uh, took a job in uh, St. James, just up the road at okay. the uh, Catholic Church there as the uh, custodian. So uh, I was there, of course, with the family and with him near the uh, 
near the church there, and uh, we did all the maintenance work there and everything. I, uh, I, I was raised a Catholic and went to parochial schools, first uh, St. Peter and Paul in Hobstadt, and then later when we moved, I went to uh, St. James School. And uh, nothing particularly outstanding about my early education. Uh, nuns were pretty damn strict, as everybody seems to know. Uh, okay, were, now, now, did they, like... Is it like the, the the movies where if you were bad, they they get the ruler out and smack your fingers? I have seen fingers smacked. Luckily, I avoided that. That's uh, good punishment in my career there. Okay. Uh, okay. At uh, St. James, uh, I, I was kind of a favored child with the teachers because they, they not with the priest though, right? Well, the priest ended up paddling me and other members of my class. Well. Where, Picking on the girls, they thought, but uh, uh, the uh, teachers uh, kind of treated me with uh, a bit of uh, uh, my, one might call respect and leniency. And actually, one of them, even one of the teachers that is, approached me. I was a pretty good student about helping one of the other students who was struggling with his studies. She right. essentially appointed me as a uh, a, a tutor That's for nice. him and we would have separate times during the day that uh, we would get together and I would help him. I remember mostly helping him with reading. He was struggling with that. So, Like he's a dyslexic or was Yeah, he, I'm not sure. Uh, had a little bit of a learning disability of some sort. Right. I didn't know anything about uh, diagnoses at that time. It was just that well, he that was back when, how, how old were you? I'm sorry. Uh, how old was I then? I Mid, was fifth grader. Fifth grader, and um, and be, this was what year around? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I was born in 1949, so... Okay, so it was 54, 55, somewhere yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, what that did for me was to kind of give me a, a chance, uh, an opportunity to uh, kind of redefine myself. I was just... Uh, go-with-the-flow kind of kid prior to that yeah. point. And actually, I was after that request of the teacher, but I recognized that I might have a little something extra there that uh, uh, that's yeah. distinguished me uh, without seem, seeming snobbish about it yeah. from some of the other students in my class. They did, so, did people take a lie to that today? Or noted no, that, uh, people noted it, but nobody really... But you didn't really, get your ass kicked on the playground? Yeah, none of that. And That's you know, good. If I, if I got my ass kicked, it was something that I brought on myself apart well, from that. I remember I took a, a dare. God, stupid. Uh, one of the guys in the class ahead of me, a pretty damn big guy, there was uh, some kind of uh, 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 rumor that developed that he was uh, quite the puncher. Oh. That he could he could really uh, uh, knock the shit out of you with yeah. a punch. So I said, "Well, we'll just see about that." So <laughs> one day the hard way, huh? at recess, I, I challenged him to deliver a punch to my <laughs> gut. He did, and uh, of course, I didn't show show any <laughs> reaction to that. But I thought I was going to die. <laughs> Uh, and, and in some ways, it reminded me of a another prior incident where. It may have been the same guy, I don't remember, but one of the kids in the class, or the class ahead of us, had some little uh, red uh, wheat 
kernels. Okay. And they were rat poison. Oh. And he, he was daring people to take the freaking rat poison. Awesome. Well, of course, there I was again. And I had, the, rat poison. I had the worst damn bellyache oh. for quite a while. I mean, that shit works by bleeding a rat to death from the <laughs> inside, right? So here I had just luckily just had one grain of this, but and and the the I think the way those things fit into the the larger picture of my story is that that's the kind of stuff that the Marine Corps loves, right? Oh, yeah. Somebody who'll, who'll just do what the just hell. Just do what they blindly do what they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do something to to show your chops and yeah. okay, well, sign me up. Oh, you were a Marine then. Uh huh. It worked out. Uh, the Catholic education. Uh, uh, you know, I didn't really object to it. I, I really didn't know much about it. I right. Mean, that was that was my frame of reference, but as time went on, and especially in Vietnam, I had cause to reconsider all of that. Vietnam was a, is, I suppose, still a Catholic country. And I remember there was a time when we were out in the bush, and uh, it was a weekend, uh, so it was said, I didn't have any idea what day it was, and we were going to have, the story was, we're going to have a priest come out here and say Mass for the Catholic troops. Well, okay, I'll go to that, I guess. That's what I've always done. I went, and, and part of the priest's message was, or, or uh, plea was for God to give us the strength to prevail over the enemy. And, excuse me. Hey, no problem. It's probably the uh, VA calling me. No. If you got to take it, take it. <laughs> It's, it's my sister-in-law. Let's just fix this. I don't even remember how to turn this goddamn thing off. But he was, he was praying for us to be able to kick ass of the uh, NBA. And I thought, well, you know, this is a Catholic country. And there's probably a congregation of uh, Vietnamese soldiers that are around somewhere where they have a priest, too, that's talking to them about killing those nasty Americans. And yeah. Thought, what, what sense does this make? I mean, it's two equal, equally uh, divine forces mm -hmm. that are going at each other in the field. And by that time, I had seen enough, uh, enough casualties and enough mess that caused me to have uh, broad doubt about the war in the first place. Right. So, after that, I was just nah, later for the Catholic stuff. And when we came, when I came back, uh, in spite of parental and other expectations, I didn't resume going to church. I didn't pick up the routine mm -hmm. that I had left because it just didn't appeal to me. It didn't it, make any sense. It anymore. didn't make sense. Correct. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Got married in the Catholic Church. Kids. Were you married before you went to Vietnam? No. No. Okay. So let me take a step back real okay. quick. Um, so you, okay, what, you're in Catholic school, and you go through high school all through Catholic school? No, no. High okay. school is public school. So is that in uh, Hopstop? Yeah. Okay. So that was a Hopstop High School then? Hopstop High School, class of 67. 67. When did they move that over to Gibson Southern? What year was uh, that? that? My brother, younger brother, who's five years my junior, he was in the first uh, graduating class okay. from uh, Gibson Southern. 
he didn't go there. I mean, mm-hmm. he didn't go all four years there. But, the but, same, but he was senior. Exactly. Yeah. He started and graduated there. So, that, yeah, that seems to be your, because uh, they, they moved. I don't know what year it was. They probably around that similar time they moved from, I had Otwell High School, they had uh-huh. Petersburg High School, Winslow, they all moved it to Pike Central. Yeah, around. there was all kinds of consolidation mm-hmm. that was going on around that the, time. in the, I guess, late 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Yeah, they did all of that. Yeah. So, okay, so you graduated from high school. Were you drafted or did you uh, volunteer? No. You got a kid who allows himself to get punched in the gut and eats rat poison. <laughs> he volunteers. You're damn right, I did. Uh, <laughs> And you and you know being a you know you want everybody wants to be a marine uh-huh. you're a kid you know like hell you wanted to go out there and you wanted to kick some ass I I guarantee it. What hooked me was uh, I saw a, a recruiting uh, silhouette uh, of a uh, marine dress blues uh, uh, chiseled guy and I thought yeah. Give me one of Did those. Did it have a, a blank face on it where you could put your head in there? <laughs> no, it, it wasn't yeah, that. <laughs> They've got those, too. I know those that. Those are pretty yeah. wild. <laughs> I avoided that. I never <laughs> did see it, so I didn't have to avoid it. But that that really was kind of the, the coup de grace of my uh, yeah. general orientation toward that life in the first place. And, I, you know, I wasn't, uh, I was not gung-ho for the cause. Right. My cause was for me to become a man and mm-hmm. to become grown up, not to do anything involving yeah. other people right. in that kind of way. Now, was Vietnam already going on? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so yeah. um, when let's see, when did that when did Vietnam start? Well, we started in uh, we had advisors there in '68. Okay. We we did uh, we did uh, military and strategic support. Actually, going back to prior to the year I was born. Oh, okay. So that was well underway, and we were doing. Oh, so a, the whole thing, yeah, actually started. Year we were year. fighting a proxy war through the French for okay. several years before I got well, there. Well, that's a case for a lot of different wars. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, okay, you were how old when you went in the military? 18? I was, uh, yeah, just uh, turned 18 in uh, January. And, okay, uh, and that was what year? 60, uh, uh, 67. 67? Okay. And so... Uh, when I graduated high school, yeah. I, I signed on a 120-day uh, delay program okay. to enter the Marine Corps. Yeah, the, the and I, I went in uh, in August of 67 and then uh, ended up in Vietnam in uh, February 68. Okay. And I had in in the military. I I was a, uh, a trained as an Amtrak mechanic of all things. Okay, so like a train a train mechanic. Uh, well, an Amtrak is roughly similar to a tank. Oh, a tank. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, that carries people. I mean, oh, instead okay. of just having armament, and uh, you know, tanks do have a storage capacity, but an Amtrak that's meant to carry troops okay. and supplies out to the field. So I had a nine-week school there to be a mechanic. Uh, the war was still going on, but I was oblivious to that. I didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we got out of school, my class graduated after the nine-week school. We all got sent out to different uh, companies, mm-hmm. uh, units, 
most of them were infantry support units, like uh, uh, tankers and, and uh, uh, mechanics of various sorts, uh, motor pool people. Uh, when I went, uh, my uh, pay record had been uh, mixed up because I had gone with a friend of mine at Christmas to Salt Lake City, which is where he was from. We flew there. He had a, do uh, a sister who was an airline uh, steward. So we went uh, on oh, her. That sounds like a dream. You she, know. she pulled some strings and we both flew forward. Airline steward. She probably had some friends. You're going to go to Salt well, Lake yeah. City, have you a nice time for the weekend. <laughs> Ah, yeah, that sounds like an all right time. See, it's the marine profile that's yeah. beginning to develop. It sounds, it sounds like uh, awesome. We yeah. had a first-class seating on the flight from LAX to uh, Salt Lake City, and you know, got pretty yeah. plastered on oh, the yeah. flight. We could drink quite a bit during that time. Yeah. Anyway, spent the uh, Christmas holiday with his family. Pretty big, and also a Catholic family, so we had that yeah, in, comfortable, in common. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they did a lot of hunting, so we had some uh, game that we had for some of our meals, Perfect. elk and deer. Yeah. Well, got time for uh, thinking about going back, talked to his sister who worked for the airline. When can we get a flight? Uh, well, you can't. There, by that time... A big fog uh, front had moved in, and it was snowing like hell. So a lot of the flights were delayed or canceled, and it was a shit show at the airport. People running around everywhere, people getting pissed off because they couldn't get their flight. And it was clear that flying standby, even though we were in uniform, we weren't going to get anywhere. Well, my friend, Larry was his name, is his name, he had a, a 57 Chevy that he had driven as a, as a high school student that was available. It wasn't in real good shape, but it was available. Yeah, so, you guys had to get back. Okay, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll head back, uh, drive to Camp Pendleton. Whew. Uh, From we got, Salt Lake to Pendleton. Yeah, it was quite a ride. I guarantee it. We had a, uh, a tire failure somewhere in Nevada. I'm not sure exactly where. But we had recap tires. We pooled our money and bought two recaps oh, wow. for the back end. One of those failed. So here we were sitting out there in the desert in the middle of the night, as it turned out. And it's out. cold at that point. I'm yeah, sure. yeah. And, and, you know, well, the gas station isn't open. There's nothing yeah. else around. So it's Christmas time. Yeah, we're going to wait. So we slept in the car. Next morning, the, uh, the proprietor came out, and somehow we got another tire. I, I don't know if his dad uh, wired us some money or what happened. We didn't have any money at that time. Right. So anyway, we got a tire and continued the trip. Uh, we ended up getting back to Pendleton about 14 hours late, which oh is not God. a good thing. So Yeah, you're, you're we, screwed. We had to go meet with the old man, as mm -hmm. we called him, and... Uh, he chewed our asses out for being late of course. and calling us irresponsible and immature and all those other... Sounds like a movie, you know? Like you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It like you see in a movie. You get dressed down. and But we were able to continue with our with our class uh, in the That's Amtrak. That's good because sometimes they could 
you know, bump you down and you have to... Well, they could have kicked us out. Yeah, could have kicked you out. Okay, but, you know, they needed some people to go to war. Yeah, right. So. Uh, but they could have said, well, this, this mechanic stuff didn't work for you. We'll put your asses in the infantry. Yeah. Let's I mean, see how that works. That's probably right. that's what they do to a lot of people. Well, I ended up that way anyway oh, because of my, you know, when, when guys got out of the uh, school's battalion, it was called, they were readily available to be assigned to a, a company, a, mm -hmm. a, a infantry support, as I said. Uh, mine was delayed because they, didn't, they weren't sure what they were going to do with me. And at that time, the billets for these uh, non-combat or non-direct combat positions were filled. So here I go with an infantry company to Vietnam. And the company, company was comprised of the kinds of people from my school's battalion that weren't assigned directly to infantry units. The point is, we only had one person that I identified in our company who was actually an infantry trained and infantry experienced person. Man. The rest of us were mechanics and drivers yeah. and, and cooks. So you were supposed to be there for the no, fighting. No, not in that capacity. Well, yeah, you know. you, well, everybody's there for the fighting, you know, but you were trained as, like, he was, he's a, he was trained to be a killer. Yes. You were trained to fix To fix machinery. And yeah. that do the killing. And, uh, yeah, That's I right. wouldn't... Uh, Everybody, you know, everybody is expected to be able to pick up a firearm. Yeah. You know, that I understand that, but then, man, I, that's, if your MOS is going, fixing, you know, fixing the tank, then, yeah, that's a, that'd be a rough, rough, well, rough yeah, row of things for me. They, they, they preached from the very beginning, Marines, that is, that your uh, fundamental MOS is 0311, which is infantry. Mm -hmm. Whatever you get uh, in addition, which was referred to as a secondary MOS, oh, okay. then, uh, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll do that, that's but right. if the stuff hits the fan, you're mm -hmm. a grunt, man. Yeah. And that's what I was, and, uh, you know, again, few of us knew what the hell we were doing. I had the advantage in my uh, squad in Vietnam because I had been a, pretty much an outdoorsman growing up. Yeah. I loved to hunt and fish and be out, and I didn't do any big game hunting, but you know I could track down rabbits and shoot yeah. squirrels out of the tree, and was a fairly good marksman, qualified as an expert at uh, our uh, uh, boot camp training at Camp yeah. Pendleton. So I frequently found myself at the head of a stack of guys going through the jungle. Perfect. I kind of knew my way around. Yeah, you knew your way around the forest and, yeah. you know, what to look for, what not to step on. This well, I was, I was pretty successful uh, and sometimes successful by accident in finding booby traps before they were uh, detonated. Uh, I, I could find... You, like, see something that was out of the ordinary. Yeah, or, or feel. Uh, I remember one time we I was leading a company patrol or company movement to a different location and, and I'm going along, and one of the things you learned in Vietnam was you never walk on a trail. You never walk somewhere that looks like it was Somebody's be already been through. Hospitable for walking because that's a prime area for uh, booby traps. So, yeah. But I was able to find those things. I, I, like, I, a, like a, would they put like a, like fishing like line crawls? They would do monofilament, and the real crafty ones would run monofilament inside a, uh, 
a reed or another oh, yeah. hollow stem. So you don't so it looks see like it. a yeah, just a, a regular occurrence. Yeah, it just looks like a, 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 a weed roll, roll mm -hmm. across it, whatever. Yeah, man, that's wild. They're, they are crafty, indeed, indeed, and they could use everything that we didn't we didn't use. We, right. Our our meals came in cans. Oh, they probably take those. So cans. we we would throw our cans out for a while until we figured that out and they would pick them up and we'd find them rigged as grenades or one of them uh, that I found was it did it did have a, a US grenade in it but it was a can with the lid cut out and it was in a tree and leaning at down toward the uh, the open part was down toward the ground, and the grenade was just barely in there. Sam, so you moved so it. You go along and brush that limb, and the grenade pops out, and the spoon flies off, and stuff hits the fan then. So, yeah, they, they were crafty. Uh, well, and, I, and, I, and I, I've gotten into World War II history a lot. My grandpa uh -huh. was in World War II, so that's... What I have folks, I hadn't got much to Vietnam a whole lot yet. It's along the along the path of my history yeah. uh, that I'm looking into. Um, but I guess on their own soil, you know, it's they uh, they it's like they almost like they got nothing to lose. So they're well, yeah, they were crazy. fighting for their for their survival Just for their country. Crazy. And we were kind of the intruders. Of what we were very much we were. the intruders. We come in with guns and tanks and airplanes trying to, you know, kill whatever. Mm -hmm. The Viet Cong, well, it was hard to distinguish Viet Cong from regular uh, civilian right. peaceful people because they, they all dressed the same. They didn't have the uniforms like we had. Mm -hmm. So uh, that went on. Uh, one incident from that uh, experience uh, in Vietnam. I was point man on a uh, patrol in a daytime. We went to a village and we were going to go through the village and at the edge of the village there was a, an elderly Vietnamese man who I thought probably had quite the long beard and the long uh, flowing uh, attire. Probably the Papa Son or the senior man in the village. And I remember when, when I was going through, when I began to enter the village where he was standing, actually he was peeing, <laughs> and, and I come past him and our eyes met. And I remember in this, I, I have, I'm 100% sure it was my projection, but what I saw in his eyes was, what the F are you doing here? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm walking out with my gun. I got this whole. Yeah, he had never seen anybody before. He had, but you know, he 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 was. I thought pretty uh, weathered about yeah. dealing with dumbass Marines and Army people that come through. Yeah. Who don't know beans and don't respect anything about their life or their right habitat. You always gotta roll through where they're hanging. Yeah, we're we're the uh, yeah. superiors here, and you you need to get out of the way. What the f are you doing here? And that was pretty much a, a very impactful uh, realization in my career. Yeah. And you know, so we went on and did what we were supposed to do there through the village. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was sometime, obviously, sometime after that, and I don't know when or how much. My sense of time. sequencing and oh, time yeah. is all scrambled still. For sure. Uh, but uh, it was a nighttime patrol. I was point. We had been on most of our patrol 
Nothing bad had happened, which was kind of unusual as it turned out. No booby traps found, no sniper shots at us to harass us. We're out uh, at the edge of a rice paddy, and the uh, squad leader had us, you know, fall out and, and just relax for a bit to the extent that you can in the rice paddy. So I, as lead, I, I decided to go ahead a little bit and try to find not a trail, but a useful way to get over to a tree line where we were going yeah, to go to set up. You, know, you always kind of be prepared for the next thing. Yeah, set up a uh, an ambush, which is what he had in mind. So I'm going over the top of the rice paddy dikes perpendicularly, rather. Now than these are rice paddies. These are. Explain that a little bit to somebody that doesn't know much about okay. what a rice paddy is. A rice paddy is essentially a field. Yeah. But it's a field that is kept flooded yeah. during the growth of the uh, rice uh, stalks inside mm -hmm. the field. And it's wet, of course, and then it's separated by dikes, earthen dikes mm -hmm. around that are maybe two, three feet tall uh, and uh, fairly tightly packed, but they're not destroyed time to time and start you know, start over. So you, gotcha. you, you clear out a rice paddy crop, Next season, you use the same uh, right. area to do the next uh, field. Okay. So I'm going across perpendicularly, uh, and one of the spots that I chose to cross, I, I made the mistake of stepping on top of the dike, which was a mistake on my part. I should have straddled it. But I stepped on it, and it was uh, the spot where there was a pressure a detonated uh, explosive that was buried and, and not uh, readily available or, or, or discernible in the appearance of the, the dike, and it was dark anyway. So I stepped on this kabloom. I flew up into the air and I ended up leaning against the dike of a, of a rice paddy in pretty much the position I am now. Wow. Leaning back some. I didn't know really what had happened, although I did have this vague image of my left foot inside my boot still flying off apart from my body. Right. Uh, you away from my body. Saw you glanced it, yeah. Kind yeah. Of that glimpse. Ended up uh, against the rice paddy dike, again, not knowing the extent of injuries. And I, I went to get up, and I couldn't get up right. because there was not a counterweight to my upper body weight. Wow. Well, so both your legs were gone. Yeah, both were gone. Uh, wow. The, uh, the we didn't have a corpsman with us. That was another issue. Corpsmen were hard to keep. Corpsmen are the are the medics. Medics, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the uh, Navy medics that are, came with Marines. Uh, they came and, and put tourniquets on me. I also had a shell fragment wound in my right bicep. Okay. So I, I was all tourniqueted up, and they called in for a helicopter. I remember the helicopter landing uh, nearby. I remember being lifted and put onto the stretcher and carried onto the helicopter, and remember taking off and part of the flight. I don't remember landing. I had apparently blacked out by then. But they took me to the Naval Aid Station in Da Nang, which was in our area, not far from where, where I was wounded and then being rushed into the emergency room, or operating room rather. I had my high school ring on, they cut that off because I had shell fragment wounds in, in all my fingers as well. So 
that started the process of surgeries and rehab and uh, lung conditioning and, and all those other things that culminated oh, with several months from May to November. So how long were you in Vietnam? A little after less that? than two months. Two months. So yeah. they kept you in Vietnam for a little less than two months. And were you able, like, just not able to be transported? Were you, uh, like, is that, is that generally what they did was keep people there for a couple months? No, no. no. The, the uh, uh, tour of duty for a Marine, the tour of duty for a regular Army guy was 12 months. Marines, always into this one-upsmanship, decided our people are going to stay 13 months, by golly. So that was the tour of duty, the routine tour of duty. Mm-hmm. In my case, and with the guys that I was with, we always had this additional uh, fantasy that was being promoted with us that you're just there, sort of thumbs in the dike. As soon as we get this Tet Offensive under control and get our guys uh, out where they need to be, you'll go back stateside. Well, uh, some of the guys I talked to who were there several months longer than I was, didn't end up back in the States under this uh, sort of get out of jail free because the uh, Arvin or the uh, Vietnamese uh, had uh, had been uh, quieted on the uh, battlefront. So mm. it didn't happen, which was no surprise. I mean, everybody expects recruiters and leaders in the military to lie through their teeth. And yeah. they were true to that stereotype. Mm. So... Naval Hospital, Philadelphia, May to November of 67, uh, discharged uh, on uh, the Marine Corps birthday, 1967, and they had a big, uh, uh, the hospital had a big uh, open bar and open house for the Marine patients, which was really all of us. So uh, two friends and, and I that I had met there at the hospital, uh, another guy with uh, one leg amputated and the other with a fused knee. So he had a, a leg that stuck out like a, you know, just it was his yeah, yeah. big, big leader. The other guy was a single unilateral you know, above the knee amputee uh, who happened to have a car. He was from uh, New Jersey, I believe. And he decided, we all decided, well, back up. During the time at Philadelphia, they would take us around. They'd load us up into vans and shit and take us around to VFW clubs and legions, and we'd go and play bingo and get drunk and, oh, yeah. and win uh, bottles of champagne that we'd bring back to the hospital and try to secret those in. Anyway, mm-hmm. there was that going on, teenage stuff. Yeah. And were you uh, still how old at this point? Uh, I was uh, 19. I had just rolled my over gosh. the ninth, my 19th year uh, at that time. Teen? When you mm-hmm. got your legs blown off and everything? Yes. Holy crap. Yeah. You were only, you'd only been in less than a year? Yes, exactly. Holy crap. Okay, so <laughs> now you were, you're, got your buddy who had, you, Eric, let's go back and get your had buddy your that car. had the car. Yeah. All right, so back to that. The other buddy, the one with the uh, single amputee and the, the leg uh, fused, uh, knew, as it turned out, knew some girls that were in uh, ice capades, of all things. Oh, wow. And ice capades came to the uh, 
forgot what it was called at that time, but the sports center in Philadelphia, which is okay. where the hospital was, where I stayed, and they took, uh, the hospital took a bunch of us over to some of the Ice Capades shows, oh, and Leo was the friend's name, he, he uh, when we were at the show, he said, I know that girl, and it turns out he did, he went <laughs> to high school with her, and then after the show, we were able to go backstage with her and some of her friends from Philadelphia, this group, this troop of uh, ice capaders were going to go to Indianapolis to do shows there. And uh, Leo uh, said, man, I'd love to see them there. And I was about ready for discharge from the hospital yeah. at that time. And I said, well, maybe we can drive, uh, 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 I forgot the other guy's name, drive his car to Indianapolis and I could have somebody from home come up and pick us up and meet yeah. us there. Well, that's what we decided to do. Spur huh. the moment. Yeah, okay, we can do that. And it, it was kind of like... like cripples. We yeah, do, right. We totally can do that. We're, none of us equal one man. In, in that car, we had one functional leg <laughs> among three guys. Yeah. And it was it, crazy. <laughs> it's the kind of stuff that uh, movies are made of. So we, we take off for Indy, uh, during the uh, trip, the portion of the trip in West Virginia, we hit a slick spot in the road. I was in the back seat, Wayne and the other guy were in the front, or uh, uh, Leo and the other guy were in the front. We hit a slick spot and did a, a 360. And I, I'm in the back seat and I, the commotion is going on, so I kind of sit up, looking out a side window, but it's as if I'm looking at the windshield, you know. Yeah. Stuff is coming at me, not, not uh, circular yeah. away from me. <laughs> so we did that, slid across the median as near as I can tell, ended up back in the, the highway in the direction that we were intending to go. And, and we just kind of all looked at each other like, what the shit was that? Keep on Keep going. Keep on going. We didn't stop to check the car. We didn't do anything. It's still running. We'll go. Anyway, after how many hours, I don't know. We get to Indianapolis, and we had arranged a rendezvous point with my uh, uh, dad, and, and I didn't know who else was coming. But we arrive at that rendezvous spot. That The timing was uh, uncanny, and he only got there about five minutes before we did, and we didn't have cell phones at that time, so we must have been stopping at pay phones periodically to call and let them know. Anyway, we get there, and after these hours in the back seat where I'm all jacked around and crunched and everything, I get out of the car, get ready to walk to Dad's car. I stand up out of the uh, car we rode in, and I, I started falling flat on my face. You know, welcome home. Had you forgotten you didn't have any legs? No, it wasn't that. I think it was just the disorientation from yeah. being so cramped up and mm -hmm. uh, uh, not uh, used to uh, functional movement. And yeah. uh, so I thought, well, here, here I am back home. So that worked out. I finally got into the uh, the car. Uh, Leo and, and the other guy went to the show, the, the Ice Capade show, and I went home. I get home uh, 
And one of the first things I did, I remember the day that I arrived. Yeah, so the home, first day you went on, what was that like? That's it was eerie. Uh, I mean, the house was familiar, of course. Right. I recognized it. Went back to the the house that I had left, but uh, things were different as to how I got around, what I looked like. Uh, Indeed, what I felt like and how I defined it. Now, was your face all scarred up too at this point? I was not scarred in my face in spite of what might be the appearance these days to some. But no, I had shell fragment wounds in my hands. I had, of course, the amputations. I had the uh, injured bicep. And uh, I was treated for a collapsed lung while I was in the hospital, but that didn't show any external cues. But the basic thing is, uh, I wondered about my worth, mm-hmm. a significant challenge to my worth yeah, and that was desirability. What, what I was going to ask is, what, how was your attitude? What was your attitude like when you came home? Like was like, and, and the attitude of people around? Because I know the stigma of the Vietnam War. Yeah. Whenever you, the troops were not welcomed home no. with a lot of uh, dignity, a eh? and uh, they don't. Nobody wanted you back. Yeah, that's what I, you yeah. know, from what I gather from history. I don't, I don't know much as much about the World War or Vietnam as I do other wars. However, it wasn't the same reception. Welcome home. That's true, and that's. But awful. I had an advantage uh, in in having grown up and living in Hobstock. I mean, that's a fairly small town, kind of small, like this. insular even yeah. community. Uh, people there who had opinions about the war generally did not question the value of the war. They questioned the uh, approach that the U.S. took to right. winning the war. And There were a number of people, uh, I, I, I think if one would have taken a poll of the residents of Hobstadt, the majority would have said, let's nuke the bastards. I mean, that'll yeah. be a way to finish it and stop getting our guys killed. Uh, so, but, you know, that was helpful to me in that yeah. there weren't people who were overtly antagonistic or mm-hmm. hateful. Yeah. Uh, my attitude was one of uh, not feeling good about interacting in that community yeah, because of were, the changes. Were you embarrassed about your body? That and yeah. there was just this uh, the, the immediate feeling of not fitting in because right. there weren't other people who looked like me. Mm-hmm. I drank a lot uh, during those early days. Uh, I always had. I bought a car initially, uh, a '69 GTO, which was an ass kicker. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, hell yeah. But I traded it on a whim. Anyway, later. Uh, all the things you do when you're young. I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> I I had was not married when I went in. I wasn't married uh, at this moment that I'm talking about now. But I was dating a girl pretty uh, steadily. We had had well, of course, we went to the same high school. She was a year behind me. I knew who home. she was. Yeah. So uh, uh, we had corresponded while I was in Vietnam. And so was that a, okay? One, one, one thing, like, it's a stigma now, like me being in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and be trying to date someone in, that's mm-hmm. not disabled. Uh, like, there's a, it's, it's an odd stigma, but like when you come home from a war, is it the same stigma? 
No, I think not exactly. I, I don't think exactly because people you served your country. People, right. People don't people don't look at you like or people look at me and they look at me and they're like they're like fuck uh-huh. that. You know, and I, I I used to be that way. I used to be the person that looked at me and like yeah. No way. Yeah. If yeah. I'd have seen before Max, if I'd seen you with no legs, I'd have been like, "That would be terrible." But mm. uh, I wouldn't be able to to do that. Yeah. But now going through all this, I know I can do. You know, I know I I know I know who I am now. And I think, but there there on a broader level, there have been significant changes in the understanding and acceptance. Or at least tolerance. Acceptance mm-hmm. might be given too much credit, but tolerance of people with disabilities in the communities. Yeah. Uh, you know, we see people with disabilities in commercials now and mm-hmm. situational uh, serial TV shows and that sort of stuff. But and during that day, early day for me, it was no, I, I don't feel like I fit in. Mm-hmm. I don't feel welcome, and I was exquisitely and angrily sensitive to how other people interacted with me. So you see, yeah, okay. They had a my my family and others uh, planned a uh, welcome home party for me uh, shortly after I got home, and it had they had a, a cake uh, baked, a custom cake, a sheet cake, and it had uh, welcome home at the top. And it had a little uh, uh, graphic in the middle to signify my being back home. It had two, the uh, silhouette of two shoes or two feet in the middle of that cake. And I just went off about that. What the is this message all about? What? And I got into arguments. I got into a lot of arguments in those early days with people. Because you know, you're angry yeah, at the situation yeah. too. You're angry at you're angry at God. You're angry at everybody right. for why did this happen to me? Why did it have to happen to me? Exactly. And and I went through the same thing of the the well. I can't. Uh, my injuries, like I, yours, was way more severe as far as um, brutally as far as mm-hmm. that, that goes. I didn't have any blood, and I didn't have any 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 healing like that to do, but. And I was angry, mm-hmm. and and you don't know you can't be. I couldn't be angry about it myself mm-hmm. because I did I did what I did to me. Mm-hmm. Now you man, I I'd be so angry. You're angry at everybody. I was, but I was also fundamentally angry at myself because I knew that you. Know, you I, were, I I traced back some of the highlights of my upbringing that led to mm-hmm. you know going to Vietnam or going to the to the Marines. So okay, my fault too. I'm I'm in this game. You, but, would you been drafted anyway? Uh, possible. My older brother, two years older than me, was drafted shortly after mm-hmm. I went in. Yeah, it's a possibility you'd been and drafted anyway. He probably. I, I think it's reasonable to assume he probably would have gone to Vietnam had I not been there and wounded severely. Oh, is so? Is that how? If like you, since you were wounded, he didn't have to go, or uh, I think that's probably the way it played out for him. I see. Uh, that, you know, there's that movie Saving Private Ryan, right, right. where the policy then mm-hmm. was established to not permit uh, uh, brothers, brothers from, from yeah, having mother, mothers to, serve, to bury all their kids. Yeah. The, yeah, the only surviving male to be in the war too. Correct. But uh, back to my uh, sure. Anger and sensitivity to other how other people interacted with me, 
if somebody would offer to open the door, fuck you, I can do it myself. You know, how do you think I got in this room? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, people offering to get me a drink, you know, same kind of reaction. I was just pissed off at everybody. And yeah. I, I still have some of my high school friends. I have lunch with them about, about monthly. We, we, we get together. And it's a tribute to them that they have stuck with me and not fled mm -hmm. when I come across so freaking angry and bitter. But uh, I think I give my credit, uh, credit a lot of my a lot of credit for my change to my wife, who I dated was dating at the time, uh, who who was uh, tolerant and acceptance. She had had a major challenge though too that she faced and handled well. And that was when I was in the hospital in Philadelphia, she came with my family in dad's uh, 67 Jimmy, drove to Philadelphia to visit with me in the hospital. She was with them and uh, my ward, it was called the AMP ramp, the amputee ramp, and mm -hmm. it was quite apart from the hospital, but connected. And uh, we had been in the uh, snack bar area, and I, I needed something from my bedside stand. So I said, I'm, I'm gonna have to go get this. She said, well, I'll come with you, with you. Okay, we'll see what happens with this. She came with me, and at a stopping point along the, the way, I just, I grabbed her, not angrily, but forcefully and held her right in front of me and I said what the fuck is this be kind to crippled month or what why are you here mm -hmm. and <laughs> she was taken aback of right. course I'm here because I want to be here I wanted to see you saw it as a pity yeah and and, and uh, boy that changed it for me I mean she got her chops at that uh, that encounter it wasn't okay. angry at me it wasn't putting me down. It was, uh, although unstated, uh, 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 a kind of a, a low-level understanding of what was going on that worked very well at right. that moment. It worked for me, and worked it seemed to work for her. Okay. So we continued on, and I got the stuff out of my nightstand that I needed, and we went back, and the rest of the, the visit was fine. And she ended up coming with other relatives of mine on subsequent visits when they would drive to Philly to see me. And it, it went well. And uh, I got out in November of uh, 67. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure I got my chronology right. Anyway, we were married in uh, March of uh, 70. Okay. By that time, I was enrolled at the University of Evansville. Okay. I had had... Uh, career counseling while I was in the hospital from the VA and they they shocked me by saying well your aptitude and uh, 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 IQ tests show that you're college material I thought, oh, oh my me? gosh me? me nobody in my family yeah. none of my cousins none of my aunts uncles had been to college I thought well what the hell I can't do that, can well, I? Well, you got rid of them dumb legs, you know? Well, yeah. Yeah. That's where all my That's smarts where, were off. You got, got rid of all that dumb crap. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, uh, I enrolled at the University of Evansville, started out as an elementary education major, 
But I didn't last long in that major to find out that I really didn't want to do that. That didn't okay. appeal to me. So I shopped around. Kids kind of suck anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like my kid. Yeah, right. Yeah. Other like kids are stupid. Most kids kind of suck and they're <laughs> ugly. and <laughs> Don't know what they're doing. You don't know what they're doing. And but what they mine, do. But mine's, mine's perfect. What they do, they do wrong. Yeah, yeah mine's perfect though. But. Uh, I, I switched ma majors to uh, sociology and ended up with a, a bachelor's degree in sociology, a minor in psych from U of E. Well, uh, yeah, that was 1972. At that time, uh, People, uh, graduates with those credentials were qualified to work at McDonald's and their vocabulary was, you want fries with that. Oh, okay. But, so, you know, I knew I had to do something else. So social work was a, a, a viable Back option for Back then they didn't take me. much uh, consideration in psychiatric and mm -hmm. mental health care. No, not at all. So if you had, they just put you in a loony bin if they thought something was wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Instead of treating you, they just push you to the yeah. side back then. Yeah. That's too bad. So I ended up uh, in graduate school at the University of Tennessee in Nashville. Uh, got my master's in social work in 74. Uh, one of my, uh, my anger had abated quite a bit. Uh, and and I, when I tell my story to community groups, I usually say, my anger didn't go away, but it changed. And it became not something that was expressed so blatantly, uh, overtly, but something that was quietly operating behind the scenes as a, as a fuel for my movement, for my goals, for my drive that's driven by anger. Because one of the things that's been important to me is to try to prevent other young males especially from going through the process of self uh, 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 delusion that resulted in my going into the military with essentially with my eyes closed mm -hmm. i don't object to guys going into the military sure. or people if that's what they want to do but i am a strong advocate of them having their eyes yeah. open because you're proud to be marine yeah. You're, you're proud to be in the military. There's no doubt about it. And I, and I can see that when I can see it still. You have a, a brain emblem on your chair, uh -huh. you know. But like you said, blindly going into a situation with not knowing what the hell is going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's no way to do it. Right. And uh, I did the same thing. Actually, I, went, I joined the Air Force mm -hmm. because I, I was failing out of school. Mm -hmm. And... First year of college, my mom said, "Well, you're going to do something." My brother was my brother actually uh, is an air a retired Air Force major. Oh, really? Yeah. So at the time, he was in, um, and you know, they just they hammered me to go in. They hammered me to go in. Mm -hmm. Well, I got in there and realized, not letting these people tell me what to that do. Was not a good fit. No, yeah. I was. I I just was not ready to take orders from anybody. Mm -hmm. I was, I'd been raised to be independent. I was a Boy Scout, you know, an Eagle Scout. I, yeah. I am an Eagle Scout. And uh, by God, I was in charge of things. I was lead singer in a rock band, and that's what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. I'm not letting nobody tell me nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, I joined in, and uh, I'm ashamed of the way I got out. But basically, I, I got out on a medical discharge. But mm -hmm. I had had a previous surgery. Uh, I shoved a knife through my palm. Ooh. Yeah, when I was in 20, and uh, I had this big hole, 
big old black training instructor, and man, he was scary to me. And I was like, I don't want that. He hammered me every day. Uh-huh. I'm talking hammered me hard. And I was thinking, I'm not letting this guy tell me what to do. I was 20 years old, and I thought I was tough, and yeah. I'm out of here. And so, I, you know, they let me leave, but I'm ashamed of the way I got out. But um, I have the utmost respect for people in the military. Uh-huh. I, it wasn't. It was not going to be good for me because I would have. If I could have went at 26, probably could probably have been fine. Better, yeah. But if but 19 or when 20 when I went in, I was in no shape to take orders from anybody. I was a kid. Uh-huh. I was a child. If I had had to be go to a war zone, I'd have been in trouble. Uh-huh. I would have been in trouble. So I couldn't imagine being 19. Yeah. Being in your shoes, going through what you did, I could have never done it. Yeah. And well, so what I didn't have was that strong passion. To not be told what to do that you had, mm-hmm. which made the difference for you. My passion was actually the, the same kind of thing that leads to my. Uh, I, I, I'm one who likes to try to get along and not make waves, in spite of mm-hmm. some of the elements of my upbringing and earlier history. Right. Uh, so, you know, being told what to do, okay, there must be a reason. I don't know the reason. And part of that is an artifact of my Catholic upbringing. Oh, yeah, that's true. You know, why do good people die? Well, it must be part of God's plan. Well, tell me more. Yeah. There is, there no, is more. no more. Yeah, right. They... you got to believe it because the priest or others they told said it. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of what, what uh, instill, was instilled in me and got me to not overtly challenge rules and and orders from superiors. Subsequently, though, uh, I am, as I suggested a minute ago, I am one who believes in people understanding the consequences of what they're about to do. Yes. Not take it on faith. You don't assume Mm -hmm. a lot about what other people or institutions are going to do. Recruiters lie. In spite of what we're taught about accepting they, the good in everybody, uh, the military exists for one purpose, and that's to kill people in spite of what they say about freeing people and liberating people. It's kind of the uh, 1984 stuff, George Orwell stuff, mm-hmm. about uh, you know twisting words around to get people to do or believe what they uh, want them to do or believe. So, uh, graduate school went fine, got through that, did well. Uh, when I came out, out uh, there weren't a lot of jobs in Evansville. My plan was to move back to Evansville. But, so I ended up uh, working at the VA hospital in Indianapolis as a social worker in the admitting department. And I had real trouble accepting that reality because... Mm-hmm. Among my identified enemies, the government and especially the VA were prime among them. They, they, they just use people mm-hmm. and they don't do what's best for folks. So here I am going to work for this beast that I've... Uh, yeah, and you, at this point, you seem like you don't have a choice. Exactly. Because you're better. limited on what you can physically do. Right. And, you know, I, I, I struggle with that too. You know, like I, I was a union construction worker, mm-hmm. you know working my hands, I was making great money. Mm-hmm. And now to not be able to do anything, mm-hmm. it's a, it, it's a, as a man, it's a self-esteem blow, it especially is. 
in your in your twenties. Yeah. I mean, I could accept it more now in my thirties. Uh-huh. Um, you know, because I understand because I'm mentally able to. Right. But at your age back then, holy smokes, you you must have had some major mental fortitude, uh-huh. in my opinion, to get through that because I think it's easier doing what I've done. Yeah. Well, I, I credit my parents, you know, in spite of all this Catholic stuff and da da da, my, my maternal grandmother wanted me to be a priest. She decided at my point of birth, according to mom, that, well, Gary's going to be a priest. No, well, that's I'm no not. fun. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. So, in spite of all that and that milieu, I think they did a good job in raising me, yeah. you know. I, I didn't get in any trouble with the cops, although I could mm-hmm. have. Sure. Uh, uh, I did drink a lot, but, you know, I got through that and don't have cirrhosis as far as uh, I know. Uh, that's what led me to where I am, you know. I I was, you know, I, I alcohol had to have been a factor. Uh-huh. It wasn't, you know, mine was an accident. But, yeah, I was drinking, so, if, you know, if you want to, I'm not gonna blame it on that, right? But it because it could have happened sober. It may have been a contributor, I, but it could have been. Yeah. And so I don't want to count it. Count it. You know, it can. It, it's a contributor in any accident yeah. that that it's involved in. I'd yeah. say if it's around and it's involved, it's a contributor mm-hmm. no matter what. So, well, uh, my my work at the VA, in spite of my uh, uh, attitude about it, uh, turned out to be a sort of a mixed blessing uh, or a hidden blessing. Because in the Indianapolis area, I became fairly well known. I mean, how many social workers are there working in the VA that have no legs? At that time, I was yeah. using prostheses and walking with crutches and, and two uh, man-made legs and doing a good job. I mean, I, I cared about the people that I was charged with helping. How, how long would you walk around like that with the artificial legs? Oh, my goodness. Uh, that was probably more than... Uh, 30 years. You did that for 30 years, yeah, huh? And it got to the point when I switched to my realization that the juice wasn't worth the squeeze anymore. I'd wear my ass out. Yeah. If, you know, making the trip to the bathroom with mm-hmm. my prostheses. Man, that was so laborious and, and so energy draining. When I got there, well, what am I here for? I right. forgot. And I could be in a manual chair, uh-huh. um, and but because I think it makes me look less, like, it doesn't make any sense. It makes me look less handicapped mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I used to think that, and because I really that was a big goal of mine, getting a manual chair. Man, manual chair. My shoulders aren't strong enough, right? So, yeah, for a short period of time, I could be fine in a manual chair, mm-hmm. which I need to have one for a backup. You know, mm-hmm. if something happens to this, but I had to be real about it. As well, mm-hmm. like by the time I get to where I'm going, am I going to even want to do what I'm supposed to be right, doing? Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, sorry to Well, I, I used a manual chair for several years, and you know, for a long time, I was well into hand cycling, mm-hmm. and I would hand cycle. I hand cycled in the uh, the uh, I forgot what they call it, Indianapolis. They have a hand or a a, a running event in the spring. Mm-hmm. Mini marathon, I think it might be called. That includes a partial circle around the uh, the oval, the uh, okay. speedway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I entered that one year, and there were six or eight young guys, college guys from uh, 
University of Southern Illinois, which is a pretty uh, well-known... Uh, uh, and bike league. Well, yeah, that and uh, rehab program oh. for people with disabilities. So anyway, I did that, and, and around home, I mean, every day I'd be out riding for as much as 30 miles that I'd go go to Chandler, go to Boonville, go to Alcoa, mm -hmm. you know, all in the same kind of circuit. And I got to the point where I just wore my damn shoulders out. Now, if I have pain, it's in my shoulders. That's my, most of my pain, my, my shoulders and my arms. Yeah. I can't use my manual anymore. I have it at home in the garage collecting dust. But yeah. This is the this is the name of the game now. Yeah. Uh, but at, at the VA, I, I, as I said, I, I was be, I was becoming known there among people who could make a difference, including leaders of the traditional veterans organizations and uh, even some of the uh, professional staff from various hospitals in the area knew of me or knew me. Uh, and that in its own way led to my being involved in some broader uh, activities and broader arenas. Okay. I was a finalist, a national finalist for, uh, it was called Handicap Federal Employee at one year. Uh, and that was the year uh, right before we moved back to Indianapolis when I went to work at the VA clinic. Uh, I became known among some non-governmental organizations, advocacy groups for veterans, and that led to my serving on the uh, national board of the uh, Agent Orange Class Assistance Program. Okay to distribute those uh, several million dollars that were uh, gotten from that settlement. I was now, were you affected at all by Agent Orange or anything? Not that I'm aware of. I have Not a, yet. My daughter uh, has a, uh, was born with a birth anomaly, uh, which may or may not be. She doesn't think it is, and she actually doesn't want to pursue it, so I'm well, leaving it to her. Yeah. But it's hard to tell with, with something like that. Yeah, and that, that could be anything yeah at that point you know so my agent orange work I mean that gave me opportunities to use my mouth about right being informed about what you're getting into and the consequences which attracted the attention of the American Civil Liberties Union in uh -huh. Washington and they at that time were uh, undertaking or in the middle of an effort called the uh, flag protection uh, work. There were uh, various uh, proposals introduced in Congress called the Flag Desecration Act that would stop people from doing things like burning the flag mm -hmm. or peeing on it or things like that. And they thought, well, that, that's permitted behavior. That's not necessarily speech. So I joined them on their side, in fact, willingly and knowingly to be their spokesperson for or against this uh, uh, litigation that was pending in Congress. So that got me a national uh, uh, megaphone yeah. to talk about that. I was interviewed on countless radio stations and TV awesome. and all of that stuff about why this was incorrect and it restricts freedoms and we ought not do it. So, you know, I got that opportunity. So it was the 
advocacy through the Agent Orange work, advocacy through the uh, Flag Amendment work, and all kinds of other things, locally serving on some area boards and mm -hmm. stuff. So, as far as uh, not letting my disability get me down, yeah. I think I have I think a, a, pretty, a pretty clear record on that, and I ain't dead yet, so yeah. we'll see what else is in the future. So, and you, you went on from, you know, you doing your advocacy and stuff, didn't you, and you became a teacher, correct? Mm -hmm. So, you, so what, was there anything in between the advocacy and... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so tell me a little bit more about that. Okay, a big empty space in what I just said was that uh, I spent several years as a private social work practitioner in Evansville. I had okay. an office and a, a shingle, and I would see not only veterans, but other people on referral from doctors in the community who were having adjustment problems or other kinds of issues that they needed help with. So you just talked to them about living life and how you get over things? And, yeah, some of yeah. that and also about uh, many of them didn't know about other resources that yeah. were available in the and community. And there are tons of resources. Yes, yes. It, um, hold on a second. For people that don't know, there are tons, tons and tons of resources in, in Indiana. You just have to be patient enough to jump through the hoops. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah, that's so, it in a nutshell, exactly. It, you really do. I mean, my, my mom has been in social work for years and years, mm -hmm. and uh, she is social work director at Amber Manor here in Petersburg. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so whenever I got hurt, it was unknowingly, like, for, for, for me to be, for a person to be injured, I couldn't happen to a better person because of my resources that I have. Uh -huh. My mom, before I was left the hospital, I was set up with all of my yeah, caregiving, yeah. all of my yeah. Medicaid, all the, everything. She was teaching the lady in Georgia, like, stuff, you're like, no, 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 you're wrong. Uh -huh. I know I could, this is what I can do. And she was telling them, I'm telling them I'm not going to get this. I'm not going to get that. Well, I got all these services uh -huh. because my mom knew. She knew the, the she holes. Every day. Mm -hmm. So my mom's a nurse also. My brother is an orthopedic surgeon. My sister is a nurse practitioner. There you are. You know, so I, I luckily have all these resources. And I have a community that stands behind me at every uh -huh. step of the way. Uh -huh. yeah, so I'm very lucky here. Um, and a lot of people aren't as lucky. Exactly. So, uh, that's part of why I, I'm doing this, yeah. you know, uh, I got a big mouth. So, <laughs> you know, you got a big mouth. Right? I do indeed. Yeah. Thank so, you. Yeah, no, ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I, you know, I, and the people, a lot of people don't like the word cripple. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Yeah. Then, because it gets people's attention. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I'm after here. Yeah. And I want people to, you know, hear your story and mm -hmm. stuff. It's like, you know, you're not even done with the story. But I want people to hear it and be like, you know what? That guy didn't give up. Look what he's doing. He's still mm -hmm. living. He's got a wife. He's got kids. He's mm -hmm. stuck. You know, that's that's what I want to share about it. People still mm -hmm. living life. Mm -hmm. So, Well, yeah, to, to uh, uh, a couple threads that I'd like to, to pick sure. up again. One, uh, uh, teaching at the university. Prior to that, with my practice, you know, I've got a lot of experience with the kinds of different kinds of issues and problems that real people in the real community are facing, which helped me in my teaching. The other part about that was that my lived experience was useful, and I extracted all kinds of nuggets from things that I've done, things that I think I've learned, that I would convey to students in the classroom. 
So it's been quite helpful. Yeah. Rather than something to ignore or try to hide from, it's been extremely helpful or was extremely helpful in my teaching for those 20 plus years at the university. In addition, in ordinary day-to-day uh, -day life, it was my practice, still is, but I, I don't go as much. When I would go to the mall for shopping or something, uh, and if I would encounter a, a mom, typically, and their little one on their hand coming toward me, I could, just, I could just see the wheels turning. Oh, yeah. The kid looks up to mom and sometimes even does a point. Mom. Yeah. He doesn't have any legs. Oh, yeah. And they'd come toward me, and Mom would jerk the arm, and I said, man, for a while, I, I probably inadvertently caused several shoulder uh, dislocations among kids. So as they approach me and get real close to me, I would make it a point to reach out to the kid. Hey, okay. how are you doing today? Exactly. I don't want to just be, you a, want to be scared. a cue for him to be afraid or exactly. her to be afraid. So I, I that's think, where it starts. Yeah, exactly. You got to start young. Because that's what I, when I was a kid, you know, I was around handicapped people. My mom was in hospice. Yeah, yeah. So I was around handicapped people growing up, and uh, I had a cousin who had cerebral palsy. Uh huh. And you know, we, you know, everybody knew she was the only one around here. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. like in a wheelchair. Right. So everybody knew her. Right. You know, and and so I never treated her any differently. Uh huh. But she was different. Yeah. You know. And, and still, uh, nobody treated her really any differently in school that I remember. Mm -hmm. But, you know, school must have been tough for her, mm -hmm. you know. So, uh, and, and now looking at, like, she doesn't live like I live, though. Like, you know, and then she doesn't have a bad life or anything. I'm not saying anything bad about her or her life. But, but like, I have an abundance of, of support. You got great support. I got great support that I wish that everybody had. Mm -hmm. Um but other people don't have the mental fortitude that I've got, you know, which I don't know how I did it. I just, I think I, I think I went crazy and decided I was saying, I don't know how, how that, if it worked, but, uh, I, I, I don't know how I'm doing it, but I wish that other people could develop this. Like, Hey, get your ass up. Keep going. Yeah. You know, yeah. come on. You know, and I, I don't, it ain't every day that I'm like this though. But. I know. I, and same here, but I, I think, Another variable in that, you know, how did you get where you are to get all these support supports? I think uh, where I came from, too. Yeah, right. Yeah. And see, that, to me, there's a problem in that that introduces the personal element and, and a policy response that arranges for all of these supports to be available to you should not be dependent on the behavior or the attitude or the characteristics of the person getting the service. Right. Because we, we do that all the time and yeah. that doesn't work. Yeah. And uh, I, if uh, maybe people, I think there needs to be more, more advocates for people. Yeah, I agree. Um, right when you get hurt, mm -hmm. you need more advocates. People that tell you, hey, this is what's available to you. Because mm -hmm. I know that I, I got a, a friend of mine who... He's a bird victim. I interviewed him. Uh, I think he was the last podcast. He's having a hard time getting up and getting moving and stuff because he had a little didn't have a lot of motivation. Mm -hmm. There needs to be people more out there motivating people mm -hmm. and getting people going and showing people what the opportunities are out there yeah. and what's available to them because simply people just don't know. 
I think the best way to show people what's out there and what they can do is to have not only spoken advocacy, but demonstrated advocacy mm -hmm. through behavior. Yeah. You know, to tell the, the burn victim, well, there was the guy at uh, Channel 7, I think, in Evansville, who was terribly burned in uh, World War II. Mm -hmm. His ears were burned off. Yeah. He was all disfigured. He was never uh, seen on camera. But he was able to run that uh, uh, TV station and several others around. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's helpful. That's better than just, oh, you can do whatever you want to do. But the, the, the creme de la creme and that situation would be if people could see him and be with him and yeah. talk to him. And what I, what I, uh, and why it's so important for me to bring people like here to my studio. Uh, and I can, I like, I can go to people. I, I'm going to go to people too. Uh -huh. But the, as opposed to having a phone conversation with somebody, right. I, I'm not into that. Because, and for lack of better words, I say this all the time, people want to see doing <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And they want to see us doing stuff. Uh -huh. So that's why I try to put videos out of me doing things uh -huh. and me creating things and doing things. Because you can. Uh -huh. My hands don't work. You know, I don't have any, you know, nothing from the chest down. I, got, I can squawk my arms a little <laughs> bit and... I can I can't pick things up. I, I'm very limited on what I can mm -hmm. physically do, but my mind works all the time and it works just fine. Mm -hmm. So I call them my slaves, but uh, my caregivers yeah. they they are take great direction. Mm -hmm. And as long as you can direct and not like, you know, because plenty of times there I can't even articulate what I want them to exactly. do. Exactly. And I get frustrated. I'm like. I get, I get more mad at my mom than anybody else, which I, mm -hmm. uh, she's a saint because she, she could do nothing wrong and I'm still mad mm -hmm. and I, it's just, everybody's got their one person and, yeah. and poor mom, mm -hmm. I love her to death, but she puts up with a lot from me, but you know, being able to give good direction and that's, that's another thing people get frustrated on and, and you know, people that work for them, they get frustrated because they get, the other person's mm -hmm. mad and. Everybody seems calm down. Yeah. I, part of what I get into at times is this magical thinking that uh, my wife in particular should know things as I know them and what yeah. I know. Right. Well, yeah, God damn it! of course that's what yeah. I wanted. What's the matter? Yeah, and I, I get frustrated. I, I have to sit back and think, okay, they're doing the best they can. Mm -hmm. They've worked a full day, mm -hmm. or and then, you know, half time people come to me. They've already worked their own job. Mm -hmm. You know, I only have a couple people that this is their only job, mm -hmm. and uh, so I have to be patient. That's another yeah. thing. I'm, you know, I'm not perfect at it. <laughs> Still working on it. Well, I think you know the bottom line is for all of us, disabled wheelchair users or not. Uh, a fundamental truth is that human beings are imperfect and in, they're fallible and there's they're shit that we do that is just uh, 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 driving other people crazy but it's part of who we are and what we are and if we know about that then we have some implicit obligation to try to change it mm -hmm. so we're not pissing people off all the time. But there are some things about ourselves that are pretty deeply hidden yeah. and driven by things that we're not in touch with. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that they express themselves in ways that are apparent and reacted to, 
and if they're problematic and if they happen in people we give a shit about, we have an obligation to try to do something about that. Yeah. So, it's got to be patient with your people. Exactly. It's got to be nice to people. I'm not always nice. I try to be, but uh, um, I try not to take, like, when, like you said, you used to get mad at people for opening doors and stuff. I, I like to turn that into a, uh, a learning issue, a learning. A teachable moment. A teachable moment. So, for example, I'll jokingly say this to people, it, and oh, it's uh, it's fine. Uh, or like if I, there's not an automatic door on, like on this place, Bridget first right. met me. I said, oh, it's fine. Just looks like the Elmer Book to Technology Center hates the handicap. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'll joke around about that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, mm-hmm. but partially I'm like, get, there, that, get that automatic door. There's right. a truism. Yeah, there. or... If some of them, they're like, well, where would you like to sit? I'm like, well, wherever's the easiest. Yeah. You know, I say that, but then they put you directly in front of the front door uh-huh. where people look at you right when they walk in. I'm like, oh, good. Put me in front of the room where all the people can look at the cripple uh-huh. when they walk in. Good idea. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm just messing with you. It really doesn't bother me, uh, but it's something I know that um, if I was less secure, it would bother me. Yeah. Like I know in the beginning it did bother me, but now I don't let other people get in my yeah, head because yeah. I know I'm this way. I've got to embrace it. You might as well. I, I like, like when you say, when you see, I, I do this to adults. You see kids that look at you. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll talk to a kid, but if I see somebody of an adult that's kind of looking at me or something like that, I'll make a weird joke to them. Uh-huh. Or like, Hey, see that wet floor sign there? I hate to slip it. I hate for you to slip <laughs> and break your neck. Yeah. Watch out for that one. Uh-huh. And then, you know, or, or I'll say stupid stuff to people all the time, but, just to address the elephant in the room. Yeah. Because right. it probably makes me more comfortable that way. Uh-huh. So I, I don't know. It's a, probably a defense mechanism, but that's well, okay. A major element for uh, uh, adjustment among people with disabilities, and this is established in research. I used to teach about uh, this, among other things, in my disabilities class. Uh, humor is one of the ways that we, number one, reduce barriers mm-hmm. and stress between us and able-bodied people yeah. or temporarily able-bodied, depending mm-hmm. on your preference. But it's also a way for us to discharge some of our own anxiety and yeah. angst about That's exactly what I do. Yeah, and, and it's a good thing. I yeah. mean, it, it, it facilitates more effective communication than yeah. not doing anything or doing something else. Yeah, and, uh, and I've... I've uh, I've done, I've done it and it's been effective and sometimes I've done it and it's not been effective. Mm-hmm. So you have to learn how to do it to not, not be mean to people. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to be mean to people, but I also want to make it a, uh, like I say, a teachable moment. Right. So uh, a lot of times I just joke around. But, you know, I got, and I got friends that they're comfortable enough with me that they can joke around with me too. Mm-hmm. So like I'll, for example, I work at the hardware store here in Petersburg mm-hmm. and I got a friend that'll come in and like, Hey, you lazy asshole! Why don't you get up off your ass and do something? <laughs> and you know, you if people don't know me exactly. or don't know that that we're we're pals, we had one guy was like, "You can't say that to him." Uh-huh. And I was like, "Nah, he's fine. It, it's, not I can deal, it's not a big deal. Trust me." Yeah, you know. But uh, it but I always hate when people try to stick up for me. Uh huh. Or or uh, start bitching at other people for parking in a handicapped spot when yeah. I'm here. I got wheels, man. I can park in the back of a parking lot. Uh-huh. Don't I don't get bent out of shape about stuff like yeah. that. There's plenty of things for us to get bent out of shape about. And uh, 
I just choose not to let it be that. Yeah. Like some of the small things. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, let's get real quick back on track here for a second. So you you went and taught at USI, mm-hmm. and how many years did you do that? Actually, when I retired, I was surprised to hear them say twenty-two and a half years. Twenty-two and a half years. Yeah. And and your class you taught. Well, I taught. I was and uh, uh, on the faculty in the social work department. Okay. And I taught. Uh, at our uh, graduate school for our MSWs and mostly social welfare policy, social history welfare policy. and policy, history and policy. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, and then uh, you know, by the time I got to USI, I had had eighteen years of clinical work already as a social worker in various capacities, including vet center uh, team leader and, and counselor when we had our Evansville vet center. I was a regional uh, clinical director for the vet center program in the Great Lakes area. So I had 14 vet centers in five states that I was responsible for their clinical work. Oh, wow. So I, I had some some cred when I yeah. when I made it to the classroom there. Okay. Uh, retired from there, and then since then have been uh, being a retired person. I got a little uh, woodworking shop set nice. up in my garage. I like to fiddle around with. Uh, things for the house mostly uh, in that. Uh, I still uh, do or am engaged with some of the uh, community groups. Uh, One in particular that I I was one of the co-founders of is uh, a a local chapter of Veterans for Peace, which as the name would suggest is all about uh, peace And, and the oxymoron in that is that it's veterans and peace in the same title of right. an organization. Well, veterans, what are they about peace? So I do that, uh, uh, read, read quite a bit, uh, and visit with kids whenever I get a chance. Oh, great. Life is good. Life is good. Yeah, and uh, so if there's anything you could say to as a takeaway from uh, your experiences in life, you know, what what would you recommend to somebody, like say a, a newly injured veteran or someone in your situation? I would say, I think the best advice rather than, uh, well, the best advice is to assess your resources. There's a lot out there, as mm-hmm. you said, Adam, in the way of resources in, in the state, but there there's also a whole treasure trove of personal resources that each of us have. What, what do we like to do? What do we not like to do? What do we know a lot about? What do we know not much about? What are we curious about? And <clears throat> think about how we can use those things to live our lives effectively. We're all different. Mm-hmm. You know, I have my path that I've followed, some of which I've stumbled onto by accident, others of which has been more intentional. But I, I would suggest getting in touch with what you have available to you, and related to that, appreciate the people around you because they can do a lot yeah. to help if Absolutely. you allow them to, if you mm-hmm. ask them to, and if you give as you wish to receive. Right. Well, good. Yeah, and, you know, life, you know, you're, you're a testament to, you know, you can continue life mm-hmm. after an injury, mm-hmm. you know after something terrible happening to you. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's what this podcast is all about. It's what, you know, 
And I want to invite you back anytime you want to come back and okay. have something else to say. Uh, Thank you for doing this. Yeah, I appreciate um, it, Adam. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Uh, well, again, we got Gary May here, uh, Newburgh, Indiana. So, um, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoy the show, enjoy this episode. Um, I'll put some, you have a email or anything you want to give anybody, or you want anybody, okay, if they yeah. want to, I can put it at the bottom here. Uh, How about, uh, you want me to do it now? Yeah, or yeah, you can say it now, or I can put it on later. Gary E. May at Gmail. Gary E. May at Gmail. One, okay. one of the ways to get to me, and uh, I can get you to Veterans for Peace if you're interested in that. Okay. I can converse with you online, chat, if you're interested in that, so... All right. Let me hear from you. Well, perfect. All right. Well, if anybody needs any assistance from Gary, uh, you know how to get a hold of him here. And uh, if you guys need anything from me, you can always reach out at cripplecast.com or at cripplecastadam at gmail. So, Gary, thank you very much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and taking the time to come down here. Um, So, thanks again, and uh, we'll be in touch for sure. Thank you, Adam. All right. Thank you, everybody. Um, Cripplecast. 6 p.m. Saturday nights. Thank you all for joining us. Later.